It's always uh, interesting, to me at least, um, to consider what portions of the, the scripture that the lectionary uh, leaves out. Um, there's nothing sinister about such editing. It would actually be kind of cool if there were some gigantic ecumenical conspiracy uh, to prevent us from reading certain texts. It would be kind of like being back in the 80s again. Remember those, those days? Uh, there were the conspiracies everywhere. Anyways, um, alas, we must cool our fevered brows and unclench our theological fists. But the truth is much more banal than that. As I understand it, um, the lectionary is centered around the, the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And the goal was to have each gospel read uh, in each year. So Matthew in year A, Mark in year B, Luke in year C, and then John being kind of scattered throughout the three-year cycle, um, but also being read in significant portions um, during Lent and Advent. And then in addition to the Gospels, the lectionary always features an Old Testament reading, a psalm, and a reading from an epistle, like our reading from Ephesians. And those readings, too, are bound by the three-year cycle. And obviously, there's way too much Bible to read in uh, even three years, unless we spend a good couple of hours every Sunday uh, reading great big sections of the Scripture. And so the solution is to offer excerpts of those writings, ideally sufficient to give congregations the opportunity to hear all the biblical voices and catch the central message and spirit of each. And depending on who you talk to, um, the lectionary achieves its goal. And for those who wonder about such things, um, you can always supplement your Sunday readings with daily lectionary readings, thereby filling in lots of material uh, that's not included on Sunday morning. So there is your lesson uh, for this morning, brought to you courtesy of Wikipedia, where we make knowledge up as we go along. (laughs) Anyway, as I said, I think it's interesting uh, to notice what did not make the editorial cut lectionary-wise. Our reading from Ephesians uh, for today, for example, starts with a so then, which cries out for a so what. We kind of catch Paul in mid-paragraph, and when listening in on a linear writer like Paul, starting mid-paragraph is really not the best way to proceed. So then, he says, and we say, so what? Well, the what in this case actually happens to be pretty important. If we get a running start on today's lectionary reading, beginning with, say, verse 17, we catch a better view of what that what is. Now, this I affirm and insist on in the Lord. You must no longer live as the Gentiles live in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance and hardness of heart. They have lost all sensitivity and have abandoned themselves to licentiousness, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. That is not the way you learned Christ. For surely you have heard about him and were taught in him as truth is in Jesus. You were taught to put away your former way of life, your old self, corrupt and deluded by its lusts, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, to clothe yourselves with the new self, created according to the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. So once you lived a certain way, Paul says, eyes clouded by sin, hearts hardened, ignorant, impure in your relationships, greedy and exploitative, altogether and hopelessly subject to the futility of your own minds, all tangled up in your own foolishness, 
once you were that way. That's the way you were. But that's not the way you learn Christ. You don't live that way anymore. No, you know better than that. You were taught better than that. You know that when you came to Jesus, you put all of that old way of being behind you. That former way, with all its corruption and lusts and delusions, you put all of that away. And in its place, you put on a new self, one that looks an awful lot like God. You were renewed in your minds and created in the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And so now we know what the answer to our so what is. Now we know what the so then comes from. The so what to Paul's so then is baptism, right? All of that language of taking off and putting on, of replacing corruption with holiness and lust with righteousness, that's baptismal language. Remember that in those days, baptism included the removal of all of your clothing, the clothes that you wore when you entered the community of faith. All of that came off and was carried away. And then naked, you entered the baptismal water. And when you came out of the water, you were given a clean robe to wear. You took off the old, literally, and put on the new. You became a new creation, and you joined with others in a new community. You were baptized. So then, Paul says, so then, so then, so then, having been baptized, having exchanged the old way of being for the new, having left the kingdom of this world for the community of Jesus' followers, so then, act like it. Stop lying. Don't carry your anger around all day. Don't behave in ways which tempt you to do evil. If you're a thief, well, you're not anymore. So stop stealing and give to the poor. Don't say things that harm the community, that wound your sisters and brothers. Say only things that bring healing, hope, peace, encouragement. Don't act in ways which make it seem as though your baptism was a joke. You've been blessed by the Spirit, so don't pretend you weren't. Stop acting sour, mean, contentious, bitter, jealous, spiteful, and maliciously. <laughs> Instead, behave like your baptism worked. Be kind. Be tenderhearted. Be forgiving. Do all of these things because you have been baptized and because you were members of one another. Baptism forever changed you. In another place, Paul tells us that when we were baptized, we died. Whatever came before was gone, washed away. Whatever came after is new, clean, and so unfit for that old life. But baptism is not simply about making a new individual. It's about making a new community. And so when we are baptized, we discover that we are not only made new ourselves, but we are also brought into a new community, a community of other once dirty folks who were made clean in baptism or a community comprised of people who died in baptism and then were raised up in Christ, a community of people bound together in love and called to live is what happened in that water still matters, still informs, still has the power to draw us ever closer to Christ, 
a community with a sheer spirit-inspired chutzpah to call itself the body of Christ. And it's in that community, it's in that community, Paul insists, that we learn what it means to be made alive in Christ. It's in that community that we learn how to behave. It's in that community that we develop our ability to trust the Spirit and to trust one another and to work out our salvation in fear and trembling. It's in the newly formed community of Christ that we learn how to be Christians, where we figure out what in the world God is up to and what part we might have to play in that and how we can most faithfully represent that whatever God is up to to everybody around us. It's in the community of faith where we learn to love our enemies and our friends, where we learn to talk to one another about anything at all, but in ways which build up rather than destroy. To be angry about things that we really need to be angry about, but in ways which don't weigh us down or unduly burden the other members of the community or that make it impossible for us to engage in that most fundamental Christian practice of forgiveness. To stop being so concerned about our own welfare and more concerned about the welfare of others, and so on, and so on, and so on, and so on, until we someday get it right, or until Christ returns, or maybe both. It's in the community of the baptized that we get to pretend to be just like God, but in a very specific way, a way revealed to us by Christ, not lording it over each other, or making high-sounding pronouncements, or casting judgment on the people around us, or speaking hateful words of condemnation against the sinner of the month, or standing apart and distant from the suffering all around us. That's not the God we imitate. That's the God that we walked away from in order to enter the waters of baptism. That's that old imperial God whose face is fear, whose voice rings with the sound of sword on shield, a God all bloated with self-importance and desperately needing to stay that way, requiring his servants to keep manning the pumps and guarding the curtains and shouting loudly its praises in a vain effort to get everybody's attention and allegiance. That's not the God we imitate. That God, who is still alive and well among us and is still worshipped by much of the church, is precisely the God that we left behind when we walked away from the old ways of being died to them underwater in the Spirit's fire, and then entered into the community of Christ. Now, we are imitators of the one true God, Paul says. When we love, when we forgive, when we tell the truth, when we serve one another. We imitate the one true God when we put the bow away and set the shield down and turn the sword into a garden tool. We imitate God. We practice being like God when we live the way Paul describes for us here in Ephesians chapter 4. And as we imitate God, as we practice the ways of being that we learn from Christ, as we learn how to love one another as Christ loved us, we slowly but surely take on the very likeness of Christ. And so what began in baptism is made complete. We become like Christ. That's where we're headed. That's where we're headed, according to Paul. And the ethical instruction in chapter 4 and in subsequent chapters is intended to show us the way there. 
And I find Paul's language of likeness and imitation to be especially helpful because those words remind us that this is not about establishing rules of conduct for the sake of keeping us in line. The rules are not the end. The rules are not the goal. The point is not to set up little communities of lockstep obedience, rigidly adhering to this set of rules or that set of rules and excluding those who don't or can't or won't keep those rules. The rules, the ethical instruction, the conduct is not the end. It is the means to something ever so much greater, much more cosmic, more wonderful than having all our little duckies in a row. The end is to become like Christ, to become like the God who created us and saved us, to move ever closer to what we were intended to be all along. And so, so then, We practice, we play, we pretend, we imitate. We try on telling the truth, and we practice it with each other, and then we mess up. And then we try it again, and we mess up. And we try it again, and we mess up. And we keep on trying over and over again until we get it right, and so resemble the God that we see revealed to us in Christ Jesus. Or we try on compassion. Um, we work at putting others ahead of ourselves. And um, I know, let's, we'll pretend that we're all alone in some wilderness place and there's only so much food to go around. And, and so we have to learn how to share and to make sure everybody makes it through to the end of the journey. And so we're drawn ever more fully into the likeness of Christ. Or we develop the habit of saying only things that will build up the community and try to avoid saying things that will wreck it. But then we slowly kind of figure out that, well, some of the things we say sort of do both. And so we learn to temper what we say with a heavy dose of love. And we learn to listen to one another's speech with a massive dose of grace. And we keep on talking. We keep on listening. And we keep on talking. And we keep on listening until the day we discover that what we are saying and what we are hearing is something that sounds an awful lot like Christ. And on we go. On we grow. So then, because we were baptized, because we put off the old way of being and behaving and put on Christ's way of being and behaving, we live like it. Remembering that we are all part of one another, a living community called together by Christ, here to learn how to love and to follow and to imitate and slowly become who Christ saved us to become. So then, We live together in love and in ways which draw each of us and all of us ever closer to the goal of Christ Jesus himself. Not following the rules so we can somehow let God and everybody else know that we are all shined up and polished and ready for the parade. No, following the rules in a spirit almost like play. Assuming the posture that we used to think belonged only to children on our hands and knees, pretending, practicing, imitating the very God who is revealed to us in Jesus Christ and whose spirit pulled us up out of the waters of baptism and then patted us on the head with a hand of fire and then hooked us up with a brand new bunch of playmates, sisters and brothers, just as wet behind the ears as we are, all learning to walk together, all moving along, toddling along, and someday running along together on the path set before us, the path that leads us home, path toward Christ, the path described for us in part by Paul 
in our lectionary reading for this morning. So sisters and brothers, let's practice walking that path together. May God make it so. Amen.